Well, welcome to Lesson 5 of Life of Christ with our Living Logos uh, series. And uh, this evening we're going to cover um, Lesson 6 and 7, I believe is what they are in your book. So we're going to combine the two lessons of the miracles of Jesus uh, into one lesson here this evening. So let's get started here. Uh, a miracle is an event or action that is against known scientific laws. It is, it is not caused by natural forces. It is often contrary to nature. It is supernatural. So we are going to look tonight again at the, at the miracles of Jesus and um, highlight a number of them. And uh, talk about some principles again, as we've done throughout this series. Um, not just simply learning uh, about the life of Jesus or the disciples, but gleaning some some very important lessons from those things. The miracles that Jesus did were were obviously a part of the proof of the fact that he was God manifested in the flesh. And so in the ministry of Jesus, there were, I think there was two primary purposes of the miracles that Jesus performed. Number one, to reveal his nature or to reveal the deity of Jesus Christ. And so through his miracles, he also, in, in showing his nature, his character, he showed compassion for people by healing the sick, casting out demons, feeding multitudes, and, and various other ways. So again, demonstrating his nature in kind of in, in twofold there. Number one, his nature or deity, uh, the fact that he was God manifested in the flesh, but also the nature of Christ, the love of God was manifested by these miracles that he performed. Um, and, and so again, the second part, uh, revealing his deity. So it was, it was a demonstration of his nature and it was a revelation of his deity, uh, by the miracles that he, he performed. So let's look at the first miracle that Jesus performed. And, uh, we're going to go to John chapter two, and I'm going to read a few verses here. Hopefully you've got a Bible and you can follow along there on your own. John 2 and verse 1 says this, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they, went, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. What, what are you, why are you telling me about this? It's, it's not my problem. It's not my time yet. And it's kind of interesting, which mothers can have a way of doing this. She kind of just ignored what he said and continues on. And she says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. She, she didn't even acknowledge what he was saying. She didn't get into an argument with him. It wasn't a debate. Uh, well, it may not be time, but I know what, it was none of that. She just tells the servants, whatever he says, pay attention. 
And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto him, unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. I want you to notice that statement there. I think sometimes we have this tendency uh, to follow the words of Jesus through Scripture in, in more of a half-hearted way. And, and they could have easily have done that. They could have filled the water pots halfway up. The problem is, as this miracle goes on, if all they would have done was fill the water pots halfway, they would have only had half-filled water pots of wine. But they filled them to the brim. We, we may not want to cut corners on what God instructs us from His Word to do, but also the things that God may be dealing with us in our lives individually to do. He saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning, at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. I want you to notice a couple of things here. Number one, this was, this was a creative miracle. He takes water and turns water into wine. And we know that according to the Old Testament or the first couple of verses of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so when Jesus was doing a creative miracle, he was demonstrating to them that he was God manifested in the flesh. I want you to notice something else here uh, going back to Verse number 8, he, he, he tells them, fill the water pots. They fill the water pots. And then he says to them, draw out now and take it to the governor of the feast. He didn't tell them, check it and see. He didn't say, confirm what it is. He simply said, take some and take it to the governor. And they did. They buried. <laughs> what I want you to notice, if we take this at face value, and I think we should, that there, there, was, no, there was no mystical sensational occurrence here there, there was no there was nothing entertaining i wonder sometimes if we miss our miracles because we are looking for some kind of sensational moment or experience when it could be just as simple as this is what the lord said so we step out on faith and believe the next one or not the next, but a couple of other miracles that that uh, tie in with this idea of of creative miracles is is two different times where the Lord fed a significant crowd of people. The first time is is the time in which the 
the, the, the lad, the young boy came and he was in the crowd and he had five loaves and two small fishes, the scripture says. And, and understand that loaves here is, is not a loaf of bread like you and I would buy on the shelf at the grocery store. Basically what's meant here is, is just simply a, a roll, a dinner roll. So it, you really, you could say uh, two small fishes and five small pieces of bread. It, it was just a lunch for a little boy. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a meal. It wasn't a spread. It was simply a little boy's lunch. And so Jesus takes those five loaves and two fishes and he feeds 5,000 men is what the scripture says. And, and so there were, there were women and children there as well. And so while the scripture says 5,000, I've heard it guesstimated that as many as 20,000 people ate that day from five loaves and two fishes. And then the interesting thing was they gathered up 12 baskets full. Interestingly enough, 12 disciples were there and helped to serve or there were 12 apostles, the 12 disciples that were the, the, the primary followers. We talked about that last week and the disciples and the apostles. So those 12 were a part of the serving there. So in essence, they did the job of serving and they each had a basket to take home. There's a great principle there is as we give to the kingdom with our time, our resources, we can be assured that God's going to give back and bless us for what we do. The other time in Matthew 15 is where he fed 4,000. And again, it's talking about men, so there were more than that there. This time he did it with seven loaves and a few fishes. So again, the, the turning of the water into wine and now feeding 5,000 and then 4,000 from uh, from. <laughs> Only a couple of, of, of items, a couple of pieces of bread, a couple of fish. Uh, what an absolutely powerful demonstration of, of his power as the creator to, to, in essence, and I know he started uh, literally, if you will, he started with something, but uh, it wasn't a whole lot. So in essence, making something out of nothing. I, I want to I just uh, insert something here. Um, in this in this second scenario, where he fed the four thousand, there was there was leftovers as well, and so that's in that's in Matthew fifteen. In in chapter sixteen, they they have uh, they've gone on a journey. They they're they're um, they're in need of food. In fact, verse 7 of chapter 16 says that they had no bread. Now, now this is immediately after he fed 4,000 and there were leftovers from feeding that 4,000. They go from that to this scenario and uh, they're, they're looking around saying, we don't have anything to eat, we've got no food. But they just left a miraculous scene where if someone would have paid attention, they should have had food. So, so here's, the, here's the point I want to make to you. 
we, we, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in a moment and we can get up caught up in, in sort of the sensation of a moment and miss the fact that while God is doing something in that moment, He's also providing and making preparation for what's to come. There's no reason they should have been in this situation without something to eat. If someone would have recognized, hey, why don't we take this with us? I, I was I was asked by someone, what is what is what do I feel? What is what is God telling me about what's going on right now? And and please, I don't want this to in any way um, be a contradiction or an undermining of of what men and women of God are saying, because I believe God is speaking. But 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 more so from a personal level, this was this was my response. My personal experience throughout my life, and I think I find it in Scripture, is we don't always understand why we are going through what we are going through when we are going through it. <laughs> There's so many things that I look back on my life, and I think as I was in them, I totally did not understand. And I was trying to figure them out while I was in them. But now that I've come through them, I can look back with perspective and see what God was doing. I just want to, I want to challenge you with, don't, don't get so caught up in, in the, in the moment of, of, of where you are that you miss that God may be trying to do some things today because He's preparing you for what's going to come. In the future. So those were some creative miracles. But not only did he demonstrate his deity by, by creative miracles, he also demonstrated him, demonstrated his deity by, by some uh, ways in which he uh, performed miracles that, re, that had to do with nature. The psalmist prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus time on the earth in Psalm 107 verse 29 he says he maketh the storm a calm and then the last part says this so that the waves thereof are still just kind of put a underline there mentally and then Job 9 and 8 says this which alone spreadeth out the heavens, and, and hear this second half of this verse, treadeth upon the waves of the sea. And that word treadeth there in the Hebrew basically mean walks. So let's reread it with that word. And walketh upon the waves of the sea. So Psalm says he stills the waves, and Job says he walks on the waves. So let's go to Mark chapter 4. In this scenario, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. In fact, the Bible says that he is asleep on a pillow. And while he is sleeping, there is this great storm that is going on. It's such a storm that the disciples are now bailing water out of the boat to survive. And finally, they, they awaken Jesus from his sleep. And, of course, the words they use were really a little bit of an insult because the, 
Their words was, don't you care that we perish? And, and so Jesus gets up from his nap and steps to the bow of the boat and just simply says three simple words, Mark 4 and 39. He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Peace be still. This is another one of those times where I try to sort of imagine the scene, put myself there and imagine what it was like. And I have to tell you what I imagine in this scene. I don't imagine Jesus stepping to the bow of the boat and with veins bulging and, and his face red from intensity and passion, screaming, peace, be still. I just imagine him stepping up to the bow of the boat and just very calmly saying, maybe maybe just kind of waving a hand, peace, be still. And immediately the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Let me just point out a couple of things from this that we can take from this. Number one, when God decides in your situation, it's time for it to change. All he's got to do is speak a word and everything's got to change. But I want you to see something else. I think this is this passage and, 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 and obviously in the last couple of uh, times of, of, of life of Christ lessons, we focused on this sometimes very specifically, but, but, but again, this idea of the Godhead and that Jesus is not the second person of the Trinity, but he is God manifested in the flesh, that he was humanity and deity. We, we see that demonstrated in a, in a really unique way in this scenario. We see his humanity demonstrated as he is asleep in the boat. But then we see his deity demonstrated as he steps to the front of that boat and says, Peace, be still. There was another similar situation uh, to this one. The, the Jesus, had, uh, in fact, it was right after the feeding of the 5,000. He, he tells the disciples to get, into a, to get into the boat and to go to the other side of the sea. And uh, he, he goes off on his own. And um, in the middle of that, they, they come across a gr another great storm. Uh, and no doubt, Jesus knew the storm was coming, and yet he sent them there. Again, forgive me, another quick side point. If he sends you to the other side, he means you're going to get to the other side. And he may very well know that you're going to encounter a storm to get there. But if he said you're going there, if you'll just trust him, you're going to get there. So they're out again in the middle of the storm. And Jesus comes this time. Fulfillment of what Job said. Jesus comes walking on the water. And he gets in the boat. Gets in the boat after. This is, this, this is the scene. And this is in Matthew 14. And verses 22 through 33. This is where Peter sees him coming. And says Lord if that's you. Bid me to come. And the Lord says come. And so Peter gets out of the boat. And for a few moments walks on the water. And then when they get back in the boat. The storm ceased. Another example of this idea of, of his 
deity and therefore his power over nature is that we we talked about this some last week in the calling of the disciples but but there were two different times one is the the beginning of the calling of disciples the other is after uh, Jesus resurrection where he gives the disciples instructions to fish and and they bring in a great draw or a, a great catch of fish both of these times were following uh, a, 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 a situation where the disciples had been fishing and had not caught anything. And, and so here comes Jesus and, and, you know, back to this first scenario, shortly after he's called them to follow him, here's a carpenter and this carpenter is telling these uh, professional fishermen how to fish. And, and, you know, especially with men, if you, you don't tell, if your profession is one thing, you don't tell another man how to do his profession. And no doubt something probably rose up inside them a little bit, especially inside of Peter. <laughs> Wait a minute, what are you doing telling me how to fish or when to fish? Or I've already fished and we didn't get anything. And, and, and the first time he says, nevertheless, at your word, and they brought in a great drought. And then another time uh, was was again after Jesus' resurrection, and they launched out and they brought in this great catch of fish. One of the one of the things I think we need to we need to take from from learn from this is it may not always make sense. It didn't make sense when when Peter says we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. We we've already been fishing, but we haven't brought anything in. And Jesus says to them, "Go again." And they went. There there are times that that the Spirit of the Lord and the Word of the Lord instructs us to do things that don't make sense. They're they're not logical from a human perspective. But if we will obey and we will respond and and, and, and we will respond really without hesitation or delay. The blessing that comes from that obedience is well worth it. So as we continue on, this is, this is now moving into part two of, uh, of the miracles of Jesus. Um, lesson seven, I believe it is. So Exodus, let's go to Exodus 15. And verse 26, and I just want to read a portion of that verse. And, and the Lord says, I am the Lord. And the word Lord there is in all caps that healeth thee. I remind you that when the Lord, when the word Lord is in all caps, it is, it is, it is referring to Jehovah. So it's referring to God, the Almighty God. So again, in Exodus fifteen twenty six, he says, I am the Lord, and Lord there is all caps. So I am Jehovah. I am God that healeth thee. Psalms 103 and verse number 2 says this. We have a song that is based on these verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. The verses before that are the ones more so that the song comes from. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. But, but notice, notice what 
he says, don't forget all his benefits. In verse number 3, and there's more that's mentioned here in the psalm, but in the context of this evening, I'm stopping with verse 3. But he, he, he says, don't forget his benefits. And then he says, he forgiveth all thine iniquities and he healeth all our diseases. Obviously, there are more than just two things that we are benefited from, from our relationship with God, our walk with God, our faith in God. But but two of the, the primary things, and really the first and foremost important thing, is the forgiveness of our sins and then the healing of our bodies. And not just the healing of our physical bodies, but the healing of our spiritual man as well. So again, Exodus, the Lord, Jehovah says, I am the one that heals. So if Jesus is God in the flesh, then obviously it stands to reason that he will heal. But not only does he heal, but he also granted forgiveness. Who has the right to do that but God? In fact, let's let's read one of the examples uh, where both of these things take place. The forgiveness of sins and the healing of the body. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, which he was carried by four men, and palsy there is basically paralysis. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press or because of the crowd that was gathered, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. I want you to notice, again, as we keep drawing lessons uh, out of all of this, that that you know that there is this idea today that uh, we we try to make everything as convenient and as simple as possible and and we try not to make people have to put forth much effort but th- this isn't the only one but what a great example of of some people that had a determination that that they made up their minds Jesus can do what we need and it may not be the easiest thing to get to him it it may not be the most convenient thing they could have easily shown up at this house seen the house full and just walked away saying you know what we got to carry this guy we can't get to Jesus forget it but rather than doing that the bible says that that they uh, when they could when they could not come nigh unto him, verse four, for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, watch this. The first thing he does, it's not as heal his body, is son thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? 
Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw it on this fashion. We've never seen anything like this. I want to point it out again, the forgiveness of our sins is far more important and a far greater blessing than simply the healing of our bodies. Because we can go to heaven with physical problems. We can go to heaven with sickness in our bodies. We can go to heaven with disease in our bodies. We we can go to heaven crippled. We can go to heaven blind, physically blind. We can't get to heaven with sins. And and, and it's kind of amazing how we, we, we celebrate... The miracles of healing of bodies, the, the crippled walking and, and, and the blind seeing and the deaf hearing and, and, and even some being raised from the dead. And, and no doubt those are things worth celebrating. But don't forget, heaven doesn't rejoice over a body that is healed. Heaven doesn't rejoice over a crippled person who is made whole. Heaven doesn't rejoice over a person that cannot hear having their their hearing restored. Heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. So let's look at a few other miracles of healing. Or actually before we do that, Matthew 9 and 35 says this. Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That means there was no sickness or any disease that he could not or did not heal. He had power over them all. I've given you just a couple of examples here, but let me just mention, and you you can study these more later on your own, There were lepers that were cleansed. There were blind and deaf people that were were healed. There were paralyzed people that were were made whole. There were people who were crippled, some from, from birth that were crippled, that he gave them complete healing. So, again, as we said, he was demonstrating his nature, his compassion, his love by what he was doing. But he also was manifesting his deity by healing of the sick. But it's not just about physical healings. Another part of the miracles, an important part of the miracles of Jesus was the casting out of devils. There's a couple of examples of this. One of them's in Matthew 17 and verse 4 where it was a child that he cast the devil out of. Another one is in Mark 5 where it was the man who was known as Legion because he had thousands of devils and Jesus cast the devils out of him and the Bible says they ran into a a herd of swine and those swine jumped off the cliff into into the water. He had power over sickness. He had power over disease. 
He had power over the devil. He had power over nature. But Luke 4.16, again, this is not just about the physical. Jesus, the scripture says this, Luke 4.16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm thankful for the miracles of healing that, that I have witnessed in my lifetime. I'm thankful for the the heal, physical healings that God has done in my body, and, and the bodies and the lives of those around me, and the testimonies I've heard. But again, much more important than that is the it's the captives being set free. It's the miracle of people who have been bound by addiction being set free by the power of God. It's those that have been bound by spiritual oppression being able to get their liberty. The another important part of this passage is is when Jesus the next verse uh, goes on to talk about the fact that he says that in this, or he says this day is this scripture fulfilled. So he was plainly declaring to them what the prophet Isaiah prophesied was going to come is now being fulfilled right before your eyes. Matthew 15 and 30, similar to verse we've already read, but it says this, great multitudes came unto him having with them those that were lame blind dumb maimed and many others and cast them down at jesus feet and he healed them insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak the maimed to behold the lame to walk and the blind to see and they glorified the god of israel as i've already said part of the point of this is it demonstrates there's there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no situation that is greater than the power of God. Not only the power of God that was manifested through Jesus Christ when he was on this earth, but the power of God that is still available today. But I think there's also an important point as we talked about here and just really skimmed briefly the miracles and some of the miracles that Jesus did Let's look at what Luke says in verse 9. Verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then verse 6. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And then in Luke 10, takes it a step further. 
Luke 10 and 17, and the 70 returned. Who are these 70? If you read earlier in the chapter, these 70 are the 70 that Jesus sent out in, in pairs. He sent them out in pairs to, to go and, and, and preach the gospel and manifest the kingdom of God. And so verse 17 says, They returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the, devil, the devils are subject unto us through thy name. John fourteen twelve says this, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. The, the, the point of that, the point of the 12, the point of the 70, the point of that verse there is to, is to remind you and I that what Jesus did is not simply something that is now history. It's not about historical facts. It's, it's not about what he did in the past, but the same way in which he did it through the disciples when he sent them out. And the same way in which he did it through the 70 when he sent them out is the same thing you and I have the right to expect today. That when we are born again of the water and of the spirit and the spirit of God now resides in us, we have the power and the authority, the same power and authority that the disciples and that the 70 had is the same power that is within us. For sickness to be healed, for diseases to be healed, for devils to be cast out. And yes, even at times, for nature to have to submit. A couple of days ago was Easter Sunday, and we are in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis. At the conclusion of uh, the service, I had walked off the platform and and uh, after a few moments, I went and found my phone, and I got my phone, and I was going to take a couple pictures, but before I took any pictures, I noticed that there was a missed call from my dad, and uh, so I, I called him back, and it was only a minute or two after he had called me. I called him back, and, and he said, um, I, I've been praying the whole service, he said, and, and uh, there, there's, there's some weather that has split and gone around you. But there's also some rain. And, and at that point, he said, there's some rain in the Crofton area. And uh, it's heading your way. And so we needed to get cleaned up. We had the, the instruments. We had the sound equipment, the drums. All that was still out. And, and so we, we went in. Um, I, I, we, we, we needed to get all that put away. And literally, as I, as I uh, ended the call with my dad, in, in a matter of seconds... It, it began to sprinkle, and then and that really motivated us. And a few moments later, it was it was more than just a sprinkle. It thankfully wasn't a full downpour, but it, it was a decent amount of rain. But I, I, I went over and, and saw my dad a little bit later and visiting with my parents for a few minutes, and he showed me a video of the of the radar map. And and it was the, the uh the, the motion, uh, the, the map in motion. And you could literally see there was a point at which the, 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 the weather that was coming our way uh, kind of broke and split and then came back together. The same God that calmed the storms and the waves on that boat 
and said, Peace be still. The same God that calmed the waves when he got into the boat with the disciples is the same God that is alive and working in and through us today. This, this, this series, The Life of Christ, is not just historical facts about a man or even a man that we believe was God manifested in the flesh. It's also about reminding and challenging us that what Jesus did, he said, greater works than this are you going to do. I do want you to notice, and if you take some time later to kind of search this out, there was a difference between the way Jesus operated and the disciples operated. Jesus did not pray and ask for anyone to be made whole. He, he didn't ask a devil to come out. He, he didn't ask for a dead person to be raised. He spoke. He spoke. Why? Because he was God. He had the authority and the power. The, the, the disciples, on the other hand, and us today, we, we don't have the authority and the power. The power and the authority is in the name of Jesus. And so that's why all that we do must be done in Jesus' name. You and I have the Spirit, the power of God in us that has the ability to heal and deliver and save. But that's, that's not our ability. That's not my personal ability. That is the power and the Spirit of God. Therefore, I call upon the name. I speak in the name. I pray in the name. The Bible says whatever we do in word or deed, we should do all in the name of the Lord. One other area of miracles that Jesus did was that of raising the dead. Even to the point, and another lesson to take from all of this, when some things look like they have reached the point of impossibility. There, there were a couple of times where Jesus raised uh, someone that had died. One of them was a widow's son. That was in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 16. It was the funeral procession. He had basically just died, and Jesus stops the funeral procession and raises this boy up. The other one was, was the story of Jairus' daughter. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. His daughter was sick. He comes to Jesus when he comes to Jesus, she's sick but alive. By the time she, they, they get back to the house, she has died. They're already weeping and mourning. And, and Jesus tells them, get everybody out of the house. And Jesus says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And the Bible says they laughed him to scorn. And he says to her, arise. And she, she gets up and... I remember the story correctly. She gets up and the first thing she does is ask for something to eat. So, so those those two examples were they were pretty much immediate. It it was death, and shortly after death, they were raised. But but there's a third one, and that's the story of of, of Lazarus and Lazarus and and Mary and Martha was a family that Jesus was close to, loved very much, had some very significant interactions with. And, and this is the story where Lazarus is getting sick and they send word to Jesus that Lazarus is about to die. And, and Jesus delays, purposefully delays a couple of days. And then finally he gets to where Lazarus was, gets to Mary and Martha. And, and their response is, Lord, if you would have been here, Lazarus, 
Lazarus wouldn't have died. And, and then Jesus says to them after some dialogue that takes place, he says, roll away the stone. And, and they respond and they, and, and they said, good old King James, they said, Lord, he's, he's been dead for four days and he stinketh. He's been dead so long, he's already decaying. He's, he's been dead so long that, that it stinks. And yet, even though that's, that was the circumstances and that was their perspective, the scripture says Jesus calls and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And out of that tomb, bound in grave clothes, came Lazarus. I, 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 I want to encourage you. There's probably some of you that are listening and watching and you've got some you've got some situations that have been dead so long that they stink. God has the power and the ability, the same power and ability that brought Lazarus out of the grave is the same power and ability that that is with you and I right at this very moment. So it's not just the sort of the easier things that God can do. He can do the things that seem to be impossible. In fact, the scripture tells us that with God, all things are possible. I, I, I want to point something out to you about a lot of these miracles. It wasn't the case with all of them. But there's a good percentage of these miracles that if you read the story, you will find out that the person in need was the initiator. There's a few. There are a few stories. In fact, the, the, the story of the widow's son where Jesus raised him from the dead, he interrupted that funeral procession. There, there was the man that was laying at the pool of Bethesda and Jesus went to him and, and, and basically initiated this conversation that led to the healing of that lame man. But again, a lot of the stories of the miracles that Jesus did, the individual had to take a step of faith. I think it's very easy if we're not careful to sit back and wait for God to do something. Well, if you know, if God wants to heal me, He'll come and heal me. If if God wants to provide my need, He'll come and provide. We we have to take a step of faith. There are times that we're in such a condition, the situation is such that God, out of His love and mercy and compassion, He reaches to us and and initiates what we need. But the Bible says it this way in Hebrews that He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, that seek him, that go after him. So I, I just want you, to, I want you to take note of that. I want you to recognize the fact that, that more often than not, God is waiting on us. We're not waiting on him. He's waiting on us to to take the proper steps, to, to take the step of faith, and that when we take that step, He will respond to us. Last verse, John 21 and 25. Not only is it the last verse for this lesson, but it's actually the last verse of the book of John, the gospel of John. 
And it says this. There are also many, many. I want you to notice that word, many. There are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, everyone. If everything that Jesus did were written, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. So again, what we've covered in this lesson about the miracles of Jesus is it, it's not all of them. We read verses that talked about multitudes, that he healed all kinds of sickness and diseases. But, but we've got enough. We've got enough specifics. We've, we've got enough specific stories that we can build our faith off of. Hebrews tells us this. Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Everything that Jesus did when he was on this earth in the flesh, he has the power and the ability to do today. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that our study of your word, our study of the life that you lived on this earth, the time you were on this earth, it's not like just studying a historical figure as many of us have done. It's, it's not just learning about a historical character, but it's also a reminder of your power and your ability that you are the same today as you have always been. That everything we've, we've talked about this evening that you have done in your word, that, that you did on during your time on this earth, you've got the power and the ability to do it today. Let faith be stirred and renewed in our hearts. Let our confidence in you and your power and ability be renewed. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.